0: Hi guys, welcome back to season six, episode 23 of my legal problem podcast, and happy 1st of December. We have made it to December. It's closing out to the end of here. And I just want to start off this series by saying what is the best film to watch at the beginning of December? And I think my all-time favorite film to say, and I've seen it every year, and I've watched it every year, and also been shown it like at my theater class in high school and middle school. In middle school, so I would say that the famous old time classic, it's a wonderful life, and I feel like for me personally, for it's a wonderful life, um, you've seen it probably multiple times. It's the famous classical black and white film, where I feel like for it's a wonderful life, I think the grandeur is that you know, the 1946 film. And, you know, you have our lovely characters based on a book called The Greatest Gift based off that. And you have this, how to say it in a nice way, you have George Bailey who gets up on his personal dream in order to help those in the others in his community. And when he's driven to like, like his lowest point in life, he thinks about committing suicide. But I think, you know, besides that, I think for It's a Wonderful Life, she does about American history. and what i mean by that is that normally when you think of american history you think of the old song and dance of the good old you know american dream and there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all but what i've taken away from this film watching it multiple times over the year that was literally released 75 years ago and to convey many messages beyond having faith in one in one another. I feel like for me personally, it is more to that. I think more than once a year, not always around Christmas, but I would sit down to watch all my favorite films from It's a Wonderful Life, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, to the polo express and so far but i feel like for this one specifically george bailey who we are getting narration in his life played by jimmy stewart who encounters a crisis on christmas eve when his elderly uncle misses place eight thousand dollars from from the shareholder of the family business leading george to believe he is a failure worth more dead than alive a guardian angel sent from the heavens to protect him gives george a glimpse of what the world will be like without him Persuaded of his value to his community, I feel like of what the world would be like without him. And I think when he sees that, he persuades his value to his community. And he breaks out of this suicidal depression, returns home to his family, and realizes that love and fellowship of others is what makes life truly wonderful. And as millions of people will do this December, I always tear up the end when George's friends and neighbors and family come together to replace the money and demonstrate to him that no man is a failure who has friends and as I I feel like I feel like always like you have to be moved by that theme of selfishness in a film and felt like George's life of service matters that motto of men for others that you know you probably heard of growing up with and I think you know beyond the inspirational quality of memorable moments that made the movie a beloved holiday staple it's a wonderful life can be explored and viewed in another way as a presentation of its history on screen I think also you know I feel like there has been many different narratives of the many Americans from all the world learning history for movies, and then discussing among ourselves, among scholars, filmmakers, audience to explore that dynamic in valuables and valuables in meaningful ways. This year, I think, you know, we excuse me, seen that a lot. I think every year films have such a explicit intended to present historical stories and impress upon viewers a little-known narrative of the past, but other films that don't have that educational intention nevertheless ends up um, miseducating their viewers about history, particularly when watching decades after the release. I feel like, overall, when it comes to It's One of the life, some of the movies that are seen by most people around the world have had that impact, even though they're sometimes not directly dealing with weighty like, political issues. I feel like at the beginning of the film... After pleas on the behalf of George, which is the heaven, two angelic fingers converse on how to respond. The angel Joseph and Franklin, who are appeared to be a, as a cluster of life in space, bring in their apprentice named Clarence, a clockmaker in life, who has yet to earn his wings by offering to help a human. Though Clarence is eager to save George as he struggles with depression and suicidal thoughts, Franklin instructs Clarence to sit down and tell him. If you're going to help a man, you want to know something about him, don't you? And as Plants gets a background lesson on George's life, beginning when his brother fell to the ice in 1919 through the end of the World War II, the audience gets Frank Kappa's version of a small-town American history with a panel of experts including the Smithsonian Lehman historian James, Jason Higgin and film cameraman Neil Moomin and Leo Landis, creator of the State Historical Society of Iowa. And I feel like... um. You have the actor, Donna Reed, who plays Mary Bailey, and Reed's daughter, Mary Owen. We explore the history as presented in The Favorite Holiday. I feel like after showing the 12-year-old George saving his brother's life in the frozen ice of Bedford Falls, New York, Cowboy takes the audience via Clarence's eyes through the ripple effect of the heroic moment. George just catches a bad cold from the rescue, the result infecting, costing his hearing in one ear, and prevents him from joining his job to the drugstore at the, for weeks. And when he does, he finds his boss, Mr. Gower, uh, depotent, irritable, and drunk in the back room, a common theme in the film that depicts its prominence as a Christmas movie. It's quite dark, honestly. And George finding the telegram sitting on the cashier's register that brings the news of Gowan's son die from the 1990 flu p- pandemic. And... Mina describes this as a villa of a classic example of cinematic storytelling at which Capra was a master in. We didn't have to see the telegram arrive. We didn't have to see Mr. Gar receive it. The way that we are formed of it. And just a perfect example of this because we are looking at it through a young George's perspective. I feel like Lehman suggested the use of Kaffirs, uses history to establish themes of prayer and grief and loss right at the start of the film to connect with themes that would be very familiar to a 1946 audience just to come out of the death and destruction of World War II. And I, in today's, will learn or relearn the terrible toll of the 1918 influenza pandemic that took the lives of about 675,000 Americans. And recognize the parallel with the uncertainty and devastation and grief of the COVID-19 pandemic. A little reminder of history finds its way into the one of the most films' most iconic scene when Reed Mary and Stuart George share a phone conversation with their wealthy businessman friend Sam Wainwright, who lives in New York City to help George, who's At a crossroad in his life, Sam offers them some illegal inside trader tips as he reminds George of an idea they once discussed to make plastic out of soybeans. This harked back to an expert popularized in the 1920s to the early 1940s, most prominent by the automotive titan Harry Ford, known as the Chuggery. According to Langdis, an architectural historian was the idea of taking farm crops and making industrial products out of them, growing rural American out of the Depression with one foot in industry and one foot in agriculture. And I feel like for that setup, you know, after experiment with that type of risky business in, in a sense, you have to think was that going to be like a sure win? for success, and through the efforts of, I feel like, of creating plastic-composed cars, and allowing Ford to swing it axe of the plastic trunk of his personal car, or publicity, so being plastic didn't result in the success of the, or rich portrayed in film, but the research did result in the plethora of fruit products, which turned push soybeans from a marginal crop in North America to one of the largest. While modern audiences focus on the incredible tension in the exchange between Jordan and Mary on the phone, Hidden in the background is as obscured history lesson of a quest for solutions to revive the nations during the great depression. Yet another famous scene speaks to the film's portrayal of the bleak economic period. After George and Mary finally married George, comes across opportunity to get out of Bedford Falls for their honeymoon, including, as he said to the driver county friend Ernie, a whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotels, the oldest champagne, the richest caviar, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. But history interrupts his plans as well. As they head out of town, George sees commotion at the bank his family business, Bailey's building and loans during the Depression, many small-town banks failed, as did the one in the fictional Bedrock Falls. The side of the building loan the child's panic, would be familiar to the audience who lived through that moment themselves. But the film presents the story of a run on a bank through the clowniness of Jim Stewart's character. As Higgins says, George appeals to be calm, the hysteria of people, by sharing stories harshly, by showing them, in a very si- simplistic term, how the system actually works. Lehman adds the presentation of various histories through Lehman, Lehman Most protector Machasa's character of Harry F. Potter that places the blame on unbridled capitalism and greed. He said that in this history, Potter is the ultimate villain, not only about the film but the Great Depression. These unseen people behind their monogamy deaths that are controlling the futures and fortunes of the people and of the nations are able to manipulate this global crisis that consumes everyone. For audience today, this presents a story of the 1930s America that is less defined by historical research than by this worldview and compelling storytelling. When presenting history because of Hollywood's own historical lack of diversity, films often fell short in giving an accurate picture of the racial diversity of the past. It's a Wonderful Life struggles with presenting a multidimensional story, of women in America in the first half of the 20th century, and Margie argues that the portrayal of Mary and other women in the film is the film's greatest weakness. Donna Reed brought everything she had to this role, which was a considerable amount, but Mary isn't portrayed as a real person. Higgins agrees that most of the time, Mary is presented as the ideal of Republican motherhood, the, the center woman role of domestic affair, educating children as civiv- civically responsible citizens, but she does break out of that mold in many parts of the film, cautioning to be more real and empowered character. At the end, it really Mary who saves George. She's the one working at the grassroots level to save her family. Is that an expression of feminism itself? one might think, but when Clarence uses his supernatural power to show George what the world would be like without him, he knows that the, the plotline takes the agency from Mary. Without George, Mary is alone, weak, and unfulfilled, closing up the library on Christmas Eve. The idea without, that without having a husband, that she becomes this skittish old maid and kind of horrifying, he adds. And the betrayal of the early 20th century woman in This Wonderful Life is further complicated by the lack of dialogue with race in America. Play that Lily Randolph, the character of Annie, is a middle aged black woman and a Billy's domestic worker. Her time on screaming amount is about two of the one hundred and thirty-one minutes of the total movie runtime. In short time, Annie's role, and by extension of the place of black people in the story, is presented as a service to and a comic relief for for the white character. Randolph is a supremely talented actor and singer and took the role she was offered, which often was forced her to play one-dimensional demeaning characters and Annie took role holds true to that paragraph. Annie is portrayed as a, being a fixture for years in the Bailey's family as she is seen preparing, serving food, assisting in Harry Bailey's wedding reception, engaging in family politics in discussion. and discussion. In one scene as George's father sits at the dinner table deep in conversation about the future of Bailey building alone, Annie pauses from clearing dishes e-job on George's reply by delaying to go to college to continue working there and George noticed her injuries in their conversation playfully but in a way that clarifies her inferior status in the house and invites her to draw up a chair then you become more comfortable and you can hear everything that's going on according to Higgins this dynamic between white families and black domestic workers goes back to the era of slavery in which enslaved women and domestic household often serve as a central point of communication among the slave populations as they take the news that they overhear and then share it to the community as an act of resistance. This interaction between Annie and the Bailey family contains even darker themes. On the night that Harry Bailey graduates from high school, Annie has been been busy making dessert for graduation party as well as dinner for the family as harry gets ready to leave for the dance he chases annie around the dining room table playfully asking her for a kiss and say annie i'm in love with you the moon's out tonight the stage direction the screenplay directs what happened next as he pushes through the kitchen door he slaps her fanny she screams the noise cut off by the swinging door and george's mother sit down at the table that assault and violation of a black woman by a white teenager is present just for laughs which is in itself telling I think for also in that World War II era, audience would see this as a playful moment and were unconcerned that Annie was seen as somewhat accepting or even welcome of getting slapped and kissed around the house by a high school boy. To us- illustrate this point, Higgins possessed the role being reversed. Just imagine the difference in perspective here. You are a single white woman working in the same job as a black family and the atrium black males chasing around Mary and how audience would react to that. It shows the double standard in the cons- construction of gender and role. And lastly, another thing about the propaganda for this film, um, there's another film called The Negro Soldier in 1944, which presented an inclusive history showing Black involvement in the U.S. war, politics, and culture in the Revolution. A far less flattering picture of the African-American version when George wishes to never been born is granted by Clarence. Better Falls, fall, his hometown, is transported to a vice-ridden Pottersville. And then the hints of this Desegregation of the town, which was form the black music, jazz, her pouring out of the tavern, diamond dance hall. Higgins also knows that Mary Spay as Old Maid is in the alternative universe, portrayed as hideous and sad, is presented as perfectly fine, appropriate, desirable for Annie in the real world. And its success, the creation of low income economy housing as project bailey park his work with this community through the building will help family many of the m- immigrants escaped from mr potter's slum where they pay high rent for low quality housing a powerful scene in the film is when the martini family moves from pottersville to bailey's park illustrated this work that made george's life wonderful if you were to talk to fred kappa he would say this efforts and diversity in the film were to include an italian family which based on his own family and hollywood standards that was diverse back then but according to Higgins, about 4 million Italian immigrants to the U.S. between the 1880s and 1920s, many faced discrimination resulting in around the 10,000 of Italian Americans being incarcerated when the United States and Italy fought in World War II. And this precedent is alluded in the film when Mr. Pratt tries to buy George off with the promise of high-paying jobs to bring an end to Blade Park. The greedy capitalist asked the ideal journalist, George if he really was going to waste his life playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. At a time when Lennox pointed out Catholic immigrants in rural communities in small towns were subject to threats harassment and terrorism by the Ku Klux Klan. The portrayal of the Americanization of an immigrant family like the Martinis despite the stereotypical elements were seen in their depiction in the film. It which it's a little owed to the American dream, but is in the end. Clarence's background briefing on George, here's a story of World War II, and one scene where describing Bet were false during the wars, Mr. Potter heading the local draft board and co-harlot choosing every name that comes across his desk as 1A or fit for military service. Higgins explains by exercising that vast discretion in choosing who would be drafted and enforce existing social hierarchy, draft boards were organized that effectively ensured social economic and racial inequality throughout the 20th century from world war ii to the vietnam war and seeing this powerful and i mean powerful wealthy old man well do i need to say more the pros present in a way to remember the war well Harry Bailey made headlines as an A flyer who shot down two kamikaze pods, preventing them from crashing into a transport ship full of soldiers. George and Mary and others in false Falls support the war efforts the way millions of Americans did. Mary ran the USO, and George served as everything from air raid warrant to organizing the of paper drives to scrap drivers to rubber drivers. I think also the actor who portrays George, who commanded for End Your Mom in World War II, and comes home suffering from PTSD to the point he questions how he could ever go back to acting in Hollywood. The dark and torture emotional struggle that George endures throughout the films <coughs> speaks to the trauma of a million Americans who were living with following the war just as he did. Learning history, of course, is not the reason of us to watch it. It's a Wonderful Life, but despite this darkness, it's lessons that's creating the community and serving your fellow humans being can lead and sustain us through challenging times and never more lenient than they are today however i think it's interesting to look back 75 years to when a film was made and explore how history presented in hollywood films can tell us a lot about the nations we were and help us guide forward to what we can become i think also that's why i kind of like like the it's a wonderful life film because despite like the historic aspect of it i think you know just watching this film and watching how dark it was for its time, and like not really noticing like those subtle details we would have noticed like when we were a kid. And I feel like for the tinge with magical path, I think you know, seeing what your life could be basically with it or without you in it, it puts a gr- us as individuals in group and group into the tension that you know, this was the American way back then. I think in general, I think having to watch this wonderful life again, you might look on it. Well, on a new lens on life I should say but definitely check out It's A Wonderful Life and maybe you see these things that I mentioned in this little description I will say this is one way to start off the December series for and off the New Year's off at the right bank but definitely check out It's A Wonderful Life if you haven't already definitely this episode of the podcast and I will see you soon for the podcast episode Till then take care and I hope you have a wonderful start to the first day of December until then bye